Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Romans chapter 1, uh, if you're new to our church here at Restoration, we, uh, we just simply go through books of the Bible. Uh, we have a, a deep conviction uh, to help people really know the Word of God in, their, uh, in its historical, uh, grammatical, literary context. Really, what does the Bible say? Not what do I want the Bible to say? And so that's really our passion. And so we're, uh, uh, we just go through books of the Bible. And so we're in uh, the letter of Romans, which is our third week. And we're, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. And so I promise you, church, that we will finish um, chapter 1 by Christmas. So I promise. Kind of. Okay. But so week 1, let me just really give you a, a brief, brief overview of where we've been. Uh, week 1. Uh, we saw the Apostle Paul give his credentials. That's what he did. The Apostle Paul giving his credentials. Hey, this is who I am. I'm a servant of Christ. Uh, I'm called. I'm set apart for the gospel. And so he kind of gave his credentials because remember uh, why Paul is writing Romans. He's writing Romans uh, to gain support so he can take the gospel to Spain also, he's writing Romans uh, to make sure that they understand his gospel, his theology. Uh, he's writing Romans so he could unify the church. So it's important that he establishes his credibility early on. And that's what he did in verse 1. Then week 2, uh, Paul just jumped right into the gospel. Uh, and so he really explained different aspects of the gospel, which was last week. And today, this morning, what Paul is going to do in verses 8 through 11 Actually, it's going to be a two-part series, 8 through 15. He's really going to get personal. Uh, Paul is going to give some personal uh, info, and he's going to, we're going to really see the heart of the Apostle Paul in these verses. We're going to see the Apostle Paul's priorities. We're going to see the Apostle Paul's commitments in his personal address to the Roman church. So let's go ahead and read that um, section, verse eight, and, or verse 8 through 11. It says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. This isn't just fairy tale or mythological book. These are your very inspired words for us, written to the church in Rome in first century AD, but written for our edification, our encouragement, our spiritual growth. And so, God, I pray that you would remind us that these are your very words. God breathed, God inspired to edify us, to conform us to the image of your Son. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would 
illuminate each and every person here, illuminate our minds, help us understand this text mentally, help us apply it, help us uh, love your word and apply your word. God, lead us in this text. May we focus all our attention, all our devotion to you this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to us powerfully. In your name we pray, amen and amen. I want to begin by mentioning uh, a statistic that I came across this week. There is a, um, a survey that's done about every two years called the State of Theology, the State of Theology, and they do it about every two years. And this, so they, they just survey all types of people and non-Christian and Christian people, just anybody they can survey. And so they'll make certain statements and the person taking the survey has to agree or disagree. It's a national survey. And so one of their findings was very shocking to me. And one of their findings is just is so uh, uh, just crucial to what Paul's getting at here this morning. And let me share this. Let me share the finding with you. The statement is this. The statement was when they asked people, worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. That's the statement. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. So I filtered the results to just the people that would call themselves Christian, evangelical Christians. These are professing Christians. Now, what did these professing, professing Christians say? Well, 54% of evangelicals agreed. 54% of professing Christians agreed that it is okay and it is a valid substitution to watch a sermon at home and call it fellowship and call it church. Now, the except, there are exceptions, right? If someone really can't leave their home, we're not talking about that. We're talking about people who are able-bodied and able to go to their house, and they call themselves evangelicals. But 54% agreed that it's a valid replacement. Church, I just got to tell you this morning, that's pretty scary. It really is. I want to remind you this morning of this, that faith is always personal, but it is never private. Let me say that again. Faith, our spiritual journey and our spiritual life is always personal. Yes, there is this personal, private uh, connection with God, but it is much more than that. It is not just private. It is public. It is corporate. We were saved into a family. We were saved into a body. And so this morning, I think what the Apostle Paul is going to do, he's going to show us his commitment 
to Christian community. And I hope it's an encouragement and I hope it's a challenge for each and every one of us. And so what I want to do is I, I broke this down into three headings that will help us understand the text this morning. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. Paul had a commitment to thanksgiving. And this is a commitment that you and I must have as well. A commitment to thanksgiving. Look at verse 8 with me again. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So here Paul is simply saying, I thank all of these Christians in Rome. Uh, But let me just, by the way of reminder, Paul's never been to Rome. Uh, Paul doesn't know these Christians personally. Uh, He's trying to get to Rome, and so he is still thanking them even when he doesn't know them. He he knows about them, but he doesn't know know them personally, but yet he's still thanking them. Now, it's really interesting that the word thank, the verb thank in the Greek text is a present tense, which signifies continual action. When we see the present tense in the Greek language, it signifies a continual action. So what that means is that Paul continually thanked God for the Christians in Rome. It was a continual thing. It was a habit for Paul to constantly and frequently thank God for the Christians in Rome. Rome that he's never met. And notice too, he, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He didn't say for some of you. He said for all of you, for all the Christians that are in Rome. Now, again, Paul probably have, you know, heard uh, of, of, of these believers and he's heard about specific ones and he's heard about the troublemakers uh, in the church and he's heard about the ones that, that are not troublemakers or whatever. Uh, but again, he's not just saying, I'm only thanking God for the good Christians in Rome. I'm only thanking God for those that are spiritually mature. I'm only thanking God for those that are not giving the leadership problems. No, I'm thanking God for everyone, all believers that I've never met, whether I hear good things about them or not. And so Paul thanked God for these Christians in Rome consistently, habitually, and frequently. Why? The verse says that because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul thanked God for the Roman Christians because their faith was being talked about throughout the entire Roman Empire. I mean, just think about that for a second. The Roman Empire was, uh, and especially Rome, it was a pagan city. I mean, all kinds of debauchery, all kinds of uh, sinfulness and evil. And these Roman Christians are being converted and they're also living uh, their life for Jesus. And so they're... Uh, their faith is going public in, in such an evil and sinful city. And so Paul thanked God for what God was doing in the Roman Christians and through them as well. Now, this is so important and it hits home for us. This was Paul's commitment, but let me ask you this morning, believer, is that your commitment? 
I think there's such a personal application here for us. Let me ask you this. Believer, do you thank God continually for the believers in your life? Let me get even more specific. Christian, do you thank God for the believers in your home? The believer that sleeps next to you, your spouse. Do you thank God for them? Believer, do you thank God for the, your fellow believers here at Restoration Church that sit next to you week in and week out? Do you thank God for all believers, like Paul, even the ones that are hard to get along with? Do you thank God for the believers that annoy you a bit, rub you the wrong way, or just, they're hard to love. All believers, do you thank God for them? Parents, believing parents, do you thank God for the Our Kids volunteers who teach your children the word of God every single week? Boy, kids' ministry is tough. And we're so thankful for every single person that serves in kids' ministry. Believer, do you thank God for the small group leader who opens their home on a busy week, could barely get it cleaned up so you have a place to fellowship? Do you thank God for other believers? I was thinking to myself, and even for me personally as my spiritual journey through the years, if we don't thank God for other believers, why don't we? Why don't I? Why do we go through those seasons where we just seem indifferent to other believers? And while there are many reasons why I believe that we don't thank God for other believers, I think the main reason is this. I think the main reason why we don't uh, thank God for other believers is because we're so focused on their failures. We're so focused on each, each other's weaknesses that we don't have anything to thank God about because we're so focused on the negative. We're always focused on their weakness, on their failures, on uh, how... This person said this to me or how I just can't connect with this person or this person said this at small group or I don't agree or whatever it may be. But there's just so much focus on our failures and on our weaknesses that we forget to look at people's strengths and abilities. And I'll be the first one to admit that there's been seasons in my life, ask anybody in ministry, where your heart can get a little bitter towards people at times, a little jaded. Well, they're not doing this and they're not doing that. I'm, I'm over here doing, why don't they do it? And you start focusing so much on their weaknesses. But every time I get like that, every time I start feeling that in my own life, I, I, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul and the example that he set before us. It's so interesting, the, the, Corinthian, the Corinthian church uh, was a church that had all of these spiritual gifts. I mean, they had all of the gifts. They, 
they were the MVP church, but yet they had a lot of weaknesses. Uh, they would cause divisions within the church. Uh, the rich believers would look down upon the poor believers at the, at, during communion. Uh, they would uh, misuse their spiritual gifts. Uh, there was... Um, uh, a guy who was sleeping around with his stepmom and the church wouldn't do anything about it. And that, that's in 1 Corinthians. That was the Corinthian church. Far from perfect. A lot of weaknesses. And yet look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about them. Knowing they have all these weaknesses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He thanks God for the Corinthian church despite their weakness. Now, we also got to remember too, though, that there's also a difference between sinfulness and, uh, and, and living sinfully and things that just bother us about people. I think we, 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 we got to help each other and correct each other lovingly and discipline one another lovingly when, we're, when we see a brother or sister in Christ going off course. But a lot of the times, the things that we focus on, if we could just be honest, are so petty. They just really are. Let's focus on the strengths of others. Let's focus on the good things that God is doing in and through their life. I love what Ephesians chapter 4 says about the unity of the church. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul here is saying, hey, unity is so important. Peace within the church is so important. I just love one thing that he says. He says, bearing with one another in love. There's other translations that basically say tolerate one another. Uh, let me give you my, the Johnny Martinez translation. Here's what Paul's really saying. Put up with one another. That's what Paul's saying. Put up with one another. Overlook those small sins because love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Put up with one another. That's what it says. But don't put up with one another just begrudgingly. Oh, I have to love you in the Lord, right? No. It says bear with one another what? In love. Genuinely. Sincerely love one another another and look at the strengths of other people, the good things that God is doing through them and in their life. So the second commitment is a commitment, or I'm sorry, the first commitment is a commitment to thanksgiving. And the second commitment that Paul gives us here is a commitment to prayer. Look at verse 9 and the first part of verse 10. It says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Paul had a commitment to praying for the, the Roman Christians. 
He again continually prayed for them. The text says without ceasing. Does this mean that Paul prayed for them 24-7? No, it doesn't mean that. It's impossible. We have things to do in life, right? But it does mean that Paul continually prayed for these believers in Rome. Jesus commands us to pray for those who persecute us, doesn't he? How much more then are we to pray for other fellow believers in Christ? Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. How much more, church, are we to pray for fellow believers in Christ? If, you're, if you've been in church for a while, you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Let me just read it to you. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think one thing that we really miss in the Lord's prayer is the corporate aspect of the Lord's prayer. You see, because if you're a believer, when we pray, again, we pray in private, but we never pray alone. We pray in private, but we never pray alone. Look at the corporate aspect in the Lord's prayer. This is how Jesus said we should pray. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't say, give me my daily bread. Give us, give you. I hope that God provides for all of you your daily needs. Look at verse 12. It doesn't say, and forgive my debts. What does it say? And forgive us, plural, corporate, public, right? Forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven others. Look at verse 13. It doesn't say, and lead me not into temptation. God, protect me. Take care of me. What does it say? And lead us, plural, public, not into temptation. A commitment to prayer. But Johnny, you don't understand I've been in church a long time and people have hurt me and it's so hard to pray for them. And you know what? I understand. Trust me, I understand. I get it. But I think one thing that's helpful is a quote from Charles Spurgeon that puts this into perspective for us. It says this, earnest intercession will be sure to bring love with it. I do not believe you can hate a man for whom you habitually pray. If you dislike any brother, a Christian, pray for him doubly, not only for his sake, but for your own, that you may be cured of prejudice and saved from all unkind feeling. If there's someone you don't get along that's a brother and sister in Christ, pray for them. It's really hard to, not love or hate someone you pray for. At the end of the day, 
if we don't learn to love those that are hard to love, we're only hurting ourselves. It's like drinking poison in which someone else was being poisoned. So, believer, let me ask you again some diagnostic questions for your own life and your own soul. Believer, do you continually pray for the believers in your life? Is there a commitment to prayer? Do you continually, frequently pray for the believers at your local church? Do you pray for believers you don't personally know or know about? That's what Paul did. He didn't know them personally. He just heard about them. And he prayed for them and he prayed for them continually. Do you pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in other parts of the world? Literally trying to survive for their life while we sit here in comfort. Do you pray for other faithful churches in the area? Restoration is not the only faithful church in this area. There are a lot of other ones, and I'm thankful for them. Just a quick tip. One of the things that I do is a practical thing is as I'm driving, and if I drive past a church, I pray for them. I pray for the pastor, whether I know him or not. Uh, I pray for that church. If I know for sure that they're not teaching correctly, I pray that God would correct them. And if I do know the pastor of the church, I'll take out my phone. Yes, I text and drive. I shouldn't. But I'd send him a quick text. And I say, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you and I'm cheering you on. It's, it's simple. We don't have to complicate prayer. This is a practical tip. But let me give you another practical tip. that I, It's so simple, but it's so effective. I want to encourage you to create a weekly prayer schedule. Do you ever feel like... You have to pray for everything every single day. Like, you ever feel like that? I knew growing up, I'm like, as I remember growing up, just praying, well, I pray for my grandma, for my grandpa. I try to name everyone, make sure I don't forget anybody, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot this person, you know? Uh, So here's the thing. Here's what I, I do, and here's what I encourage you to do. Have a few things that you pray for daily. For example, I pray for uh, myself daily. I pray for my wife daily. I pray for um, uh, my daughter daily. And I pray for this sermon daily because God knows it needs a lot of help. So I pray for those things daily. But then on Monday, I pray for family. Tuesday, I pray for the church. So Restoration Church, I want you to know that every single Tuesday, there's someone praying for you. Wednesday, it's friends. You know, you Create your own prayer schedule. If you want to pray for the world, honestly, pick a day, turn on the news. There's a lot going on in the world. And just pray for whatever's going on in the news. Pray for our world. It's that simple. It's effective. A commitment to prayer. And lastly, look at what Paul shows us personally. He's committed to. A commitment to fellowship. Look at, look at the second part of verse 10 and 11. He says, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. 
Paul wanted to see the, the Roman Christians face to face. He didn't want to just write a letter to them. He wanted to see them face to face. The NLT translation says it this way. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you for I long to visit you. Paul didn't say for I long to send you a letter. He says, I want to see you face to face, flesh on flesh. I want to see you personally. I want to look at your face. I want to make eye contact. I want to hug you and embrace you and lay my hands on you when I pray for you. Paul had a commitment to biblical fellowship. Now, what is biblical fellowship? Because a lot of the times we think that biblical fellowship is just, hey, we go to church or we have a few Christian buddies and we just kind of hang out and grab a cup of coffee and that's biblical fellowship. If you're really curious of what biblical fellowship is, we did a two-part series called Better Together. It's on YouTube. I encourage you. We went in deep on what the Bible actually says about biblical fellowship. But the truth is, that's not biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship is not live streaming the sermon from the comfort of your own home and never being around believers. Biblical fellowship is not watching sermons from your favorite celebrity pastor and calling it church and calling it fellowship and calling it Christianity. The celebrity pastor doesn't know your name. The celebrity pastor can't pray for you. The celebrity pastor has no idea what's going on in your house. The celebrity pastor doesn't even have your phone number and you don't even have his phone number. That's not biblical fellowship. What is biblical fellowship? Let me give you a definition. Biblical fellowship is the sharing of a common life with other believers. A life that we share with God the Father and God the Son. Leave that up for a little bit. It's the sharing of a common life. There's two aspects together. Uh, There's two aspects to the common life. One, it's sharing together. We share a relationship with other believers. We were saved into a family. We were saved into a body. And so there is this relationship that we share, and it's a spiritual relationship. What really is at the center of Christian community is the fact that we're spiritually in relationship together. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. It's also sharing together of a partnership. We share together the load and the mission that God has called us by using our spiritual gifts, our God-given gifts that he has given us for the local church. We share that burden together, that amazing calling together of evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints with our spiritual gifts. Not only is there a sharing together, there's a sharing with. We share our possessions. We share our life. 
we share our finances, we share our homes, we share whatever it is that we have for one another. That's biblical fellowship. The question for you this morning, and I'm just going to assume that because you're here, I'm preaching to the choir. But do you long to be with the people of God? Do you long to be with God's people? Do you long to come to church, Bible study, and just be with other believers? This week for me was a tiring week. Uh, I'm still recovering from celebrating our baby's first birthday. Next year, we're going to Peter Piper. I mean, we're just going to Peter Piper. Like, it's, it's a lot of work. I'm still recovering. And I was seriously, I think I had that, that Wednesday, I had like four cups of coffee, man. It was rough. But man, boy, I longed to see my men's small group. I long to see them. And man, they just gave me so much life, so much energy. Do you long to see other people? Do you eagerly desire to worship and serve God alongside of your fellow believers? Do you eagerly desire to partner with believers using your God-given spiritual gifts in the local church? Paul had a commitment to biblical fellowship. And so what I want to do next is I want to do three things. I want to give you some instruction. I want to give you some encouragement. And I want to give you a warning. I want to give you some instruction, some encouragement, and a warning. First, the instruction. Again, it's not my opinion at all. But church, believer, professing believer, it is not an option to go to church. It is not optional to go to church, to be connected in a local church. It is not an option. It is not a valid substitute to sit at home and watch sermons. Again, my opinion doesn't matter. Hebrews chapter 10 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is a command to gather in the local Church. I mean, just think about this. If your perspective, which I'm sure it's not, if your perspective is one where I don't really need the local church, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the local church. How is it possible then to live out the one another's of the faith? How is it possible to live out, love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, build one another up from the comfort of your home. It's impossible. You cannot. And just think about this other aspect. The Bible uses metaphors for the church, doesn't it? It uses a body. It uses a family. And it uses a house. 
every single part of the body, every single part of the house, every single part of the family is important, which leads me to my encouragement. If you're not connected in a local church, I want to encourage you. You're important to that local church. You're important. And you matter. I want to encourage you to find a local church. But Johnny, you just want me to come to your church. Sure, I'd love to have you. But more than that, I really encourage you to find a local Bible-preaching church. Because I believe you will be a benefit to it, and it will be a benefit to you. Paul Washer puts it this way. Don't look for the church nearest to your house. Look for the church closest to the Bible. That's the type of church you got to look for. Look for the church that's closest to the Bible. It's not about convenience. It's about does that local church, because it does matter where you go to church. Does that church teach the Bible in its context correctly? It matters where you go to church. So my instruction, an encouragement, and lastly, a warning. I get this all the time. What about people that say they're Christian and don't go to church? Are they saved? I get it. It's, it's, it's a common thing, especially after COVID. It's just a thing that kept on coming up. I will say this. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take you to Scripture. 1 John chapter 1, verse 19, speaking about people who were professing believers in the local church and have left. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. That's a warning, my friends. Now, don't, don't think that I'm saying that you have to go to church to be saved. I'm not saying that. We go to church because we are saved. And here in this passage, uh, John is saying, there's some that professed Jesus, gave external evidences, but they were never truly converted because they are no longer part of the local church. Later on in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In other words, John was saying, how can you say you love God who you haven't seen, but yet you don't love your brother who you have seen? And you're indifferent towards your brothers and sisters in Christ because you don't want to gather with them. How does that make sense, John is saying? It doesn't. So I will say this. I think best case scenario 
someone who professes to be a believer but does not go to church, best case scenario, is an immature believer and has some growing to do. Best case scenario. And I hope and I pray that someone would come alongside of that person, disciple them, take them through the scriptures to see the necessity and privilege of being in a local church. I think that's best case scenario. I think worst case scenario, in, in my personal opinion, it's more, more likely that a person who professes Christ but says, I don't need the church, I'm not going to get plugged in, is not truly saved. Because when you are converted, truly converted, when you are born again, God changes your affections he changes your desires. He changes your wants. He changes your loves. And one of those things is love for other brothers and sisters in Christ and a desire to be with them. So get connected. Get plugged in. But most of all, if this is you, examine Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're truly in the faith. It's one thing to profess Christ. It's another to possess Christ. Those two things are very different. So Paul makes a commitment to thanksgiving, a commitment to prayer, and a commitment to fellowship a commitment that you and I are called to make. Now, the big question is why? Why? Why should we make this commitment to Christian community? Here's why. Because Jesus thought that the church of God was so precious that he gave his life for it. That is why that Jesus thought the church to be so beautiful and so worth it that he went to the cross for the church. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says this, Paul writing to or telling the, the Ephesian elders, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He purchased the church with his own blood. And how dare we be indifferent to the people who Christ died for? May we thank God for every single believer and check our hearts. May we pray for every single believer we know. And may we be eager to be with other people that Jesus died on the cross four. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you to, that we get to see Paul's heart. 
we get to see his priorities. We get to see the things that were important to him. And it was Christian community. And so God, I pray that this morning you would work in our hearts powerfully. That we would have a desire today to thank for, pray for, be with other believers. That we would never fall into the trap of substituting a TV or a phone screen or a laptop or a tablet for flesh on flesh community. And God, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here or watching online that professes to be a believer, but is just fooling themselves, God, I pray that by your sovereign grace that you would draw them to yourself right now at this moment to give them eternal life. They would place their faith in you by your sovereign calling, by your effectual calling. Your word says that no one can come to you unless the Father draws him. So draw, draw people to you, Jesus, in saving faith into a loving family, into a house built with the foundation of Jesus Christ, into a family with other brothers and sisters in Christ and a heavenly father who cares and loves and provides. God, we thank you for challenging us and encouraging us and comforting us with your word this morning. We pray that we would be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word as well. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.